Christmas may be over, but the second most exciting time of the year is here or just around the corner for many dairy goat breeders. Kidding season. On this week's episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I are joined by Tim and Mary Schmidt of Eagle Creek Farm and Katherine Taylor of Taylor Ridge to talk about late maternity care and starting off kids right. back goat gabbers to another amazing episode of goat gab we hope it's amazing anyway that's always our intention um as always i'm one of your co-hosts laura warren hughes and i'm the other co-host cameron chudlowski and today for the first time ever we have three guests on at the same time in an episode laura do you want to introduce our first guest I absolutely will. And I just want you to picture it like we're all sitting together in a tack pen at a show because, you know, it's like freezing, freezing, freezing cold everywhere. Well, at least up here anyway. And uh, we wish that we were at a show where it was nice and warm. So just picture us all hanging out together and we're glad to have you with us. Um, Our first two guests that I'd like to introduce today are Tim and Mary Schmidt from the Eagle Creek Farm in Haywarden, Iowa. So I had to ask where that was. I knew they were Iwegians because I run into them at shows up in that area. And uh, they're way up in the northwest corner of Iowa. So we're so excited to have Tim and Mary. And kind of a funny thing, when I first kind of had the idea of wanting to do a podcast, um, it was conceived sitting around in a tack pen, actually in the aisle at a show in Nebraska. And Tim and Mary were there and some of our other goat friends. And and we were talking about podcasts and they mentioned um, our uh, good friends who do Beyond the Ring that I've mentioned a couple of times and told me I should listen to that. And, and they were really encouraging that, hey, our dairy goat industry needs a podcast too. So um, you can kind of blame them for some of this. So um, Tim and Mary, you guys want to tell a little bit about yourselves? Well, hello, everyone. Yeah, I'm Tim. And um, yeah, so we've been raising goats for about 23 years. We got our first one in 1999 and so it's been talking well um actually we had a couple of uh token nubians just before that but our first registered toggenberg came to us in 1999 and so that's when we consider we started the toggenberg herd and we've had them um, for 23 years since then so um and we still have uh descendants of that first one that we toggenberg that we purchased um, so yeah, we've, uh, been raising for 23 years. We've had a lot of changes in the way we do things. We started an old drafty barn that leaked through the roof, milking by hand to putting up a, um, facility that has a milking parlor attached to it, uh, with a stand that we milk by machine. We can milk, um, four head at a time. We put eight on the stand. Um, so, um, yeah, we can move through a little faster and, um, and so it makes it a lot uh, nicer and easier for us and the goats. We also started with when our daughters were little and now they are both married. And so it's just Tim and I around anymore, but uh, we're still hanging in there and still, <laughs> and still breeding goats and still milking goats. And the daughters show up once in a while at certain shows to help us show because that's really what they like, but it's kind of just the two of us anymore. 
I can see my life heading that way very quickly. As the daughters, as the daughters get older and move off to their old things, and they're always like, "Oh yeah, mom, we still want to come. We'll still come and go to shows with you." I'm like, "Uh huh." It's just the day to day that you're like, "Oh, it's just me." <laughs> yeah it it's scary as you head into it, but I, when you get on the other side of that and you figure out how to make some things work, it's not so bad. Good to know. And Cameron, you want to go ahead and introduce our other wonderful guest. Yeah, our other guest today, um, much to her excitement, uh, is Catherine Taylor, my fiance. Uh, I talk about her a lot on this podcast because I do love her. Um, but I really wanted her on today because she uh, can tell you a lot of stuff that I don't know and use big words that I don't understand. So I'm really excited to have her on. Catherine, uh, say hi to the listeners there and tell us a little bit about your herd as well. Hey, everyone. Um I'm Catherine. I'm from the Taylor Ridge Farm in Illinois. Uh, we've been raising dairy goats for 22 years now. Um, kind of in 2010, I took over the herd, and we've been to um, kind of upping the tog numbers and kind of keeping them going. And made our national show appearance in 2017, and kind of fell in love with that. So kind of exciting as we move forward with the herd with Cameron and I taking over. Thanks, honey. I appreciate it here. And I'm really excited again with her vet knowledge here and her, um, she loves not only veterinary medicine, but I think one of her passions that a lot of people don't know about is that she loves nutrition. And I feel like, you know, on today's topic, maternity care and kid raising here, um, she can provide a lot of context for that. So I'm really excited about having her on here. But before we get into that, Laura, what's happening on your farm? Um, the only things of note uh, I just ultrasounded my last two does that were the last two that were bred. One definitely is bred. The other one, eh, I'm not quite so sure. So I may have another dry yearling this year and that's totally fine with me. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll take a look again later. Uh, did our first round of pre-kidding vaccinations. So I know we're going to talk more about that in a little bit and, uh, just, just not to get political or anything like that. If you have people who work in the medical field in your life, just be kind to them because it's pretty ugly right now out there. Um, who would have thought that two years into this pandemic that we'd still be talking about things shutting down and in hospitals being overwhelmed, but we are. So just all of our listening listeners out there, be safe, um, be careful. I sure would. It breaks my heart every time I hear of somebody else who's gotten sick or, or um, you know, in a really bad way from, from this. And I just, just hope that we can all see each other healthy on the other side of it. So that's kind of it with me. What about you, Cameron? Um, not a lot whole here. Again, it's funny that um, we're talking about this here. We bred our last goat, knock on wood. Hopefully it's our last goat here this week um, because she kept weird cycling after I gave her little lace. Um, but then we actually are set to kid here Mon next Monday. So um, scary to be breeding and kidding at the same time. Um, but I guess that's the circle of life in a nutshell. Uh, <laughs> also uh, set up our barn cameras as well today. So we're very excited about those as well. Um, might need to do a little more stuff with those, but really excited about those barn cameras and how much easier they're going to make uh, the February months. Yeah. You mean not running outside in your pajama pants and yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're exactly. exactly. Right. 
and, but and that's I the think, fun part. Yeah. <laughs> fun in whose book? <laughs> I think with our cameras, it's been uh, really nice that I can be at the because we raise pigs too, and I can be at the hog building and I can sit there and check and and we know something's going on, but I can go. Do I have the time to finish this part, or do I have to get home now? So that's been one of the nicest things is to not have to stand there. Uh, you can be getting some other things done. For sure. Yeah. Tim, Tim, Mary, what's happening on your farm? Well, we finally, we got our, we have one, a great vet. Let's start with that. And he came out this last week and we ultrasounded the herd and we found out that everything is bred. So we will not have a dry animal on the place. Um, so we, but, so that makes, we'll be freshening 23 goats, which is kind of about average for us. Maybe it's yeah. down a few, but. And basically in a five week period. So. We, oh, uh, wow. You'll be busy. That's, yeah, we'll be busy. That's but, what we like. We like to go in and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, we, we were not able to get um, any AIs this year. We've been fairly successful in the past in getting AIs. Something this year, I don't know, when I would go in and, and look for the cervix and things, I usually go on a timing method, and uh, especially because I'm in harvest during that time when we're breeding. And, and things just did not seem right. So some of them we immediately put with a buck. I tried a couple, and they did not stick. And so... But we we got them bred to some nice bucks that we have in our herd that are out of high scoring does and and AI sires and and also one that is a young buck that uh, his mom was second place three year old with second udder this year so we're excited about the ones we do have from Iron Hill Farms so yeah. yes very cool now Tim do you use do you use quite a bit of AI with your hogs uh, yeah ninety percent. Um, well, actually everything gets, gets after I wean everything, um, four days later, I breed everything AI and then, uh, some will cycle around and then I bore breed. But, um, so I'm about 86% on my, on my AI conception with my sows. It's, it's a lot different than, than, um, than AI and goats, um, much easier, I would say. Wouldn't it be nice if you could do that with goats, though, the same way? It would be nice, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. I think, and this is kind of a perfect system that Catherine and I have talked about in the past, is, you know, in a perfect world, we could get every single goat AI'd, mature doe in a herd, this is all hypothetical here, and then only breed naturally on the on the first fresheners on that, and you'd only have to hypothetically have one buck around every single year. That's just a, a perfect system there, and I know that's something Catherine and I have talked about. Yeah, I, I think you, I think you can come closer. It, it would take a while. Yeah, what I feel is with my sows, I'm pretty consistent on that day four, day five breeding. I don't try any other times, so by default, I'm selecting for animals that settle at day four and day five after post post weaning. And the ones that do not, and I, I think if you really would concentrate your goats on these are ones that are settling um, by AI and selected that way, you'd have a higher success rate. 
It's just that your herd might di- look differently than you thought you wanted it to look. I I would agree with that too. I I definitely have seen, and again, I have a really small herd, but definitely have seen families that AI is just a lot easier in certain lines than others because of that, because of that family, um, multiple generations of AIs. And I'm always like, yep, they come into heat. Well, you can tell when they're ready to breed. They're easy to stick AI. I kind of agree with that. Yeah, that would be cool. Catherine, uh, anything happen on your place there? Um, a couple weeks ago, we did everyone's vaccines as we come into the last four weeks of, um, pre-kitting. So we're just waiting. We start first part of February. So pretty excited. A lot of mature does are due within that first two weeks. Awesome. That's awesome. Fun. Awesome. Yeah. yeah we're going to go ahead and uh, move right out of Adga news here and not really talk about that again. There's always something in the ha- Adga world happening. But today we really want to focus on maternity care and kid raising. Because I think that's what, um, first off, that's what the listeners want this time of year. And secondly, uh, it's such a, um, there's a, everybody does it a little bit differently. No, none of us, all four of us do things differently on our farms um, that we do. But I think it's a good discussion. And let's go ahead and talk about it. I think the first thing we're going to talk about and focus about is late pregnancy care and talking about that maternal care. Probably the first, you know, or the last 60 days of, of gestation, correct, Laura? Yeah, I think that, you know, most of us, once you get them to that, to that point where you know that they're bred and they're getting fat and happy to quote what my family calls our goats out there, because they are, you know, they, they do that nice pregnancy hum out in the sunshine. You see their heads buried down in the bottom of the hay. Um, you know, they're looking good. And, and sometimes I look out there and say, this is my favorite time of year to look at them because they're just, they're just big bodied and, and, you know, barreling down and, and looking good. It's easy to think this is the, the skating by time. You don't have to do too much with them, but um, I would argue that those last two months of pregnancy, you really need to be, have your good eye on your animals to see what's going on because it's pretty easy for things to get out, get out of hand before you realize it. And um, when kidding season hits, then you're paying for that lack of attention. What do you guys think about that? Oh yeah. And I think the first thing we're going to talk about, because I I think I would tend to agree with it. I mean, we're, like I said, we don't start until the middle of March, so we're just outside of that yet. So we feel we're, we're relaxed a little bit yet, but um, yeah, I, it, keeping an eye on them, making sure everybody's um, staying, you know, getting good condition and and not being stressed and ma- managing weather issues and stuff like that, um, and staying on top of everything is is really good. I think the first thing here that we really need to focus on, because I think everyone does it a little differently, is the nutrition of the goats. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Tim and Mary here. Talk to us a little bit about your nutrition plan for that 60 days-ish, 30 days just before kidding. Do you grain them? Do you not grain them? What type of alfalfa are you giving them? Do you give them anything extra there? Um, Well, so, okay. So we will, um, we grain all year round um, and our, on ours, um, it's just we vary the amounts. So right now they're about at their lowest amount of grain they're getting. Just kind of, um, you know, we tend to are be. I feel we're colder. We we raise goats in the north, so we got to keep a little more condition on them. 
Um, we will be moving them, um, start moving them to the stand when we feed them, and that kind of gets um, you know them thought-wise prepared to um, coming on the stand once they've freshened, get them trained, especially some of the younger ones. Um, and then, yeah, we'll just up the grain a little bit as they get closer. Um, and they right now I'm feeding primarily a grass hay and with a little bit of alfalfa once out of a nice bale that I bought, um, but I will switch them over to a, a nice grass alfalfa mix that I've got once we get within probably three weeks of kidding. That's very similar to what I do. We feed grain all year round too. And and I've tried tried not doing it, but what I found is that the does, they just really seem to need that in my herd. Um, you know, I I don't have a problem with animals getting too fat, but I do have a problem at times with animals getting too thin. So um we do the same thing and kind of have them on that rising plane of nutrition towards the end of pregnancy. Um you know, as they get closer to kidding season. Yeah. One, one of what? the things by, by ultrasounding our goats, we were able to have our vet look and see how many um, kids he saw in each one. So we've got those notes down. Um, we can kind of, as they get closer, you certainly, the ones that may be carrying a single uh, may not bump her up as much on feed and then back off. But, and you, you know, if one's got triplets or something, um, certainly give her just as much as she um, as 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 the rest of them and keep her in good nutrition and you can kind of manage a little bit that way I thought was um, is a nice way to do it versus maybe blood testing or milk testing for pregnancy I would agree yeah I mean that's when you ultrasound and can determine how many they're going to have it's kind of the best for kind of everyone all around because you can manage those does that have three like triplets or more especially with pre uh, preventing pregnancy toxemia so you can kind of tailor your nutrition plans to those so for our farm um i kind of do things a little different so um ours are on grain all the time like everyone else but um when we come into like fall during dry off period and then through the first part of winter i kind of keep them on a low protein diet it's usually around a 14 percent mix and that's usually our all-around maintenance feed. Our dry yearlings will stay on that, and our bucks are maintained on that grain. Um, that just kind of keeps everyone happy going into breeding season where they're still on a decent plane of nutrition. So we have um, ovulations that are where you can have the twins and triplets and not get them into where they get too skinny. And then coming into the winter, when we come into like the last six to eight weeks before kidding, I start switching them over to uh, 18 to 18 percent protein feed that's usually textured versus pelleted and um, that's to boost their calorie intake and then as we get into those last couple weeks before kidding just the amount increases we're not in that lower amount that's more of a maintenance rate and that's something that I, I think Laura and I have talked about kind of offline here is we think, and this is my opinion, and I think Laura feels the same way here, is we think grain is so important because not only is it really freaking cold in the Midwest here, but also partrition takes so much energy out of a dough there. They really need that energy from those carbs they're getting in that grain in order to do the active partrition there. And I've seen goats that haven't had grain in you know a week or two there 
um, really struggle with partrition because they don't have those energy cells and it's more or energy reserves. So it's more likely to struggle during kidding because they don't have that energy from that grain. You can maintain them on like diets without grain. It's just um, what is that dough used to and what type of dough is that? If she's a high lactating dough and she's got a large number of kids in her, she's going to need that extra support from calories from a, a ration that contains grain versus your dough that's maybe a fat dry yearling that's coming in and only has a single in her. She can stay on alfalfa, alfalfa mix and be just fine. Well, I worry too, you know, when you think about the growth of the kids during, it's during that last part of pregnancy that they really put on their, put on their growth. And if we're limiting what the mom's getting, those kids are going to take what they need from the mom. And again, I think that just kind of compounds issues like um, milk fever and pregnancy toxemia and things going into the end of pregnancy. If you, if you don't have adequate nutrition for that mom. Oh yeah, I totally agree. There are any supplements anybody uses like to do during um, you know that last sixty days, uh, copper boluses or anything else there in this group? No, generally we have not done that in our farm. Um, just just uh, maintain the uh, feed increase, and that that's nothing special after that. Yeah, we don't change anything in ours. Um, we've got rumentin in our grain pretty much all the time. And there's a number of actually scientific papers that'll talk about rumensin and pregnancy toxemia, kind of keeping it so the microbes don't get overloaded with um, producing ketones. So it kind of helps keep pregnancy toxemia pretty minimal in our herd, if at all. Now, Catherine, rumensin, is that a pretty, is that a staple in a lot of you know, show mixes there, or can they get it in, in basically off the, I call it the, the feed mart stores, wherever it's like a tractor supply or something like that. Or is that something that's specifically in a lot of the custom feeds? So a lot of the show feeds, they'll have rumensin or monensin, or they'll have, um, decox, which is, uh, lasalicid, which are all coccidia stats, but they also keep the rumen microbes in balance to where they can produce amino acids that are um, from the microbes that are used to a diet that's pretty high in grain versus diets that are pretty high forage based. So it's not hard to get in most, uh, like I said, most commercial diets will have it in there. You just have to purchase the one that's medicated versus non-medicated. Like for me, where I feed Purina feed most of the time, because that's, that's probably the most consistent feed I can get. They have one called a goat grower that, that has that in it. So, um, you know, we always feed that to our kids. I haven't fed it during pregnancy, but I think that's a really interesting um, thought on that, Catherine, and something that I'm going to consider. Moving along here, um, one uh, kind of the next thing here is vaccinations there. I know, Catherine, uh, you have a vaccination program Tim, Mary, you have a vaccination program as well, correct? Or do you guys do anything there? I do not. So let's kind of go around the room here, round table here, and talk about some of our vaccination protocols. Let's start with Laura first. Uh, the one thing that I do, uh, I, and, and I know I've talked about this on other episodes, I'm pretty religious now with making sure that my does get their CD&T 
um, about a month before they kid. And then um, I will boost our mature herd also again after kidding. Uh, we do it twice now, but uh, we always do that just to make sure those kids get that those passive antibodies from their mom. That's the only one that we do before they kid. Tim, Mary, what are your thoughts? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah as far as ours, we do a CD&T also primarily is the only um, shot vaccination. Um, one thing we do do is um, we run a areomycin or CTC, chlortetracycline crumbles, um, for a uh, burst in the feed for about uh, two weeks. And we've talked to our vet about it. We Back when we first started, we had sheep and we had some um, abortions. We brought in a, a new ram and he, he caused some late-term abortions. And one of the things, um, by feeding uh, these crumbles, um, you can prevent some of that. And so we've carried that on and we've just always done that. Um, and we just do it in a short burst and then uh, back off. So that's that's one thing we do. And, and, and we... There's different products out there, different levels. We just consult with our vet as to how much to feed. Gotcha. Catherine, I know you do two shots instead of just one there. Uh, yeah, so we'll do uh, about six to eight weeks before kidding. We'll give everyone the in that group their CDT boosters. And then we come through um, late spring to early fall. just kind of depends on everyone's schedule. And we'll booster the CDT again pre-breeding. So we have an area that's kind of a little bit, I wouldn't say too wet, but we do have a lot of clostridial issues in our area, especially among different herds. So I just do it as a precaution. What kind, do do um, any of you guys do any special type of health testing beforehand? Um, like I know in my herd, about this time of year and actually I meant to get it done this weekend and it didn't happen, but we make sure that we pull blood on everybody and run our um, normal biosecurity panel just to make sure that, that we're not um, introducing anything to the herd or that we don't have anything that we need to be mindful of with kids. Um, In my herd, we, we feed um, pooled raw milk. So we want to make sure that if we've got a CAE issue that's cropped up, that we're not, ruining everything with that. So um, do you guys do anything like that with your animals? Yeah. When we, when we ultrasound, that's when we pull blood and, and run the same thing and, and to make sure that everything's okay there. Yeah. We don't do anything um, as of that because we, we pasteurize all our milk, uh, feed it back to the babies every year. And we heat treat, or excuse me, we don't use heat treat colostrum. We use um, raw colostrum from um, powder packets there. The colostrum uh, replacer, not the colostrum supplement, very two different things there. So um, we have some different biosecurity protocols than others. So moving on from kind of the vaccination status there, what about anybody do, do you guys do um, hoof care during that? What does your guys' hoof care protocols look like? Laura, you want to start there? Well, actually, Tim used to do all of our hoof care, but I finally started, I've watched him enough do it. And I have been taking that over in the fall when he's busy. Um, and so I usually, that's what I've been doing here now. And I've got everybody's hooves well, almost done except for three, I guess. And so then we'll leave them alone now until they freshen here in March. And 
then after they freshen, then he'll go through and trim hooves again. So that's our protocol on that. So Tim, Mary, who, who trims better hooves? Tim can do corrective hoof trimming. (laughs) I'm a little slow, but I get it done and. She does a good basic hoof trimming. Yes. That's what Catherine would say too about mine. Right, honey? (laughs) No, I would say you destroy hooves. You are not allowed to do hooves. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, ouch. That hurts. (laughs) It takes too much off and then I can't correct them. That's the biggest problem. (laughs) He helped the last time with hoof trimming and three of them were lame the next day. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. My biggest thing... My biggest thing is they didn't die and they didn't miss a meal. So <laughs> Tim maybe well, has has to be watched a little close too. We went to a destination show this year out in in Colorado and yeah, he trimmed the window's hooves a little too short. And, she, and so she did not walk in the ring. However, it was kind of a good thing because then we we had another doe along and we substituted her in and we found out by golly, she's a little better than we thought she was. And so it worked out all for the best. Don't worry, Tim. I do the same thing. I just learned you trim hooves two to three days before the show. Yeah, this this is the first time I've ever had that. I, I usually temper myself so that I'm not. And I, w- I don't know, I got a little aggressive and I learned my lesson. <laughs> Okay, well, my hat's off to all of you, because if you ask my daughters, they'll tell you they almost want to not ever put hoof trimmers in the tack box when you go to a show, because I can't tell you the number of times where I thought, oh, it's just a little bit long. I'll just take a little bit off. And then their showmanship does limping. So, you know, eh, that is that is just a hard thing to do. Um, Tim and Mary, my, my way of doing hooves is very similar to yours. I, I do it to a certain point and then I try not to do it again until after they kid. So um, I just think it's got to be miserable for those big, heavy girls to have to be fighting me while I'm trimming their feet. And um, if their feet are good enough, if they're not terrible, they can usually make it until they kid. I try to get them about two or three months along and then don't touch them again. We used to do it at Thanksgiving time and we called it turkey with all the trimmings because we'd go out to the barn and trim all the kodos. Family but, bonding. Yeah, they started not liking that family tradition, so that yeah. had to end. <laughs> yeah. No, that that wouldn't be fun either. So Yeah. I would have gone there. One of the questions we got a lot of on our Facebook when we asked for kind of feedback about this was some of the health concerns that may crop up during that late pregnancy care, during that last 60 days there. Uh, This can include anything from pregnancy toxemia, milk fever there, some of the, um, some of the things that they're just not acting right there. Um, what, and I guess I'll start with Catherine because I know Catherine and I kind of talked about this here. What are some of those signs that you've seen or you've been taught in vet school, um, to kind of notice in the herd for concerns there? Um, and what are some things I guess people could do about it? Yeah. So kind of like in those last 60 days, your biggest concern is going to be pregnancy toxemia. Um, so with pregnancy toxemia, the key thing is prevention. So knowing 
if we can, knowing how many kids those does are going to have really kind of sets us up for the best success. So you can do like what a lot of sheep producers do and they can break them down into groups of like, okay, this pen has singles, this pen has twins and this pen has triplets plus, and then you can feed them accordingly to that. Um, but kind of, if we don't have that opportunity, what's the biggest thing is looking for clinical signs. Um, so does that are kind of just kind of feeling off, not feeling really great, not wanting to eat and drink. Those are our biggest signs. And then if you can um, check for ketones, that's one of the things we can look for. That's a easy kind of preclinical test to see if we have evidence of pregnancy toxemia or even ketosis. So it's a pretty inexpensive tool. So if you get like a uh, BHB meter or beta hydroxybutyrate meter, that's the most present ketone that we find in pregnancy toxemia or ketosis. So um, those are actually like 35 to $50, just depending on where you get them from online and you don't need a prescription for them. But um, just kind of checking those and seeing if we have any signs that way, because some does will be just kind of off feed and not feeling the great. And they might actually be slightly having pregnancy toxemia. But once it gets towards the later clinical stages where the does are not wanting to get up or their legs have are kind of puffy and have some edema built up into them, that's kind of when we get to does that have a little bit a poorer prognosis, um, just because it's really hard to treat them once they get that far. Catherine, if you so on the on this BHB meter that you mentioned, is that something you get from like? a vet supply company, Valley Vet. Um. Yeah. So like PBS Animal Health has them, Valley Vet has them. Um, the one that I have through the clinic is from Nova Vet. Okay. And it's just a BHB meter. And sometimes you can get them with glucose as well. And then you can kind of see what your ketone level is at. And you want them less than like 1.2 ketones per millimole. Okay. And then what if you, so what if you um, have discovered that your animal is spilling ketones? Yeah. So if we have ketones, um, then you want to correct that energy balance. So giving them some propylene glycol um, and encouraging them to eat as best we can, but propylene glycol kind of giving them the energy boost is kind of the mainstay of treatment at that point. If they're kind of out of it where we're starting to see them kind of, pretty much down and almost showing neurologic signs where they're kind of twitching and stuff like that. That's when you got to get your vet involved and then we can do some IV treatments as well. Just, just as, as a warning here, Catherine is not a licensed veterinarian yet. So I'm just telling people that right now she will be at some point whitewater, Wisconsin. If you're in the area, look her up. Uh, She might be good at her job. I don't know yet. I have yet to see her work. So, um, (laughs) but you know, uh, you've got to have a good vet. You you've got to have a good partnership with your vet because, you know, even though you as a dairy goat owner can look at your herd and say, these animals aren't acting right. I know this doe, this is not normal for her. This looks bad. I think, you know, and I think it's ketosis or I think it's toxemia or whatever. And then let's say you even have one of those meters. You still need to be in partnership with your vet. Call your vet. Let them know. Let them know what you've done. They'll appreciate you giving them information. But at the end of the day, you've got to have that partnership there. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. That was going to be my, you know, 
keep keep watch on your does. You kind of you know them the best as to when something's not right. And and I'm under the thing. Get the vet involved immediately um, because it's gonna you know depends on how far they are from having kids. It's gonna be you know a time period that you're gonna have to work with that through kidding and then right after kidding as well. And so he needs to or your vet he or she needs to be involved and and help you through that. So I do know we we have not had a lot of problems with pregnancy toxemia. I do, we, we used to have, um, it was a mother and a daughter, both had issues. I do think it can be somewhat um, genetic um, mm-hmm. and they are not around anymore. So um, we, we don't have that many problems with it. What, what about, um, you know, talking a little bit about, and something that I run into a little bit more than pregnancy toxemia is milk fever. Um, and one of our listeners actually asked a specific question about feeding their hay, said they were feeding a second crop alfalfa and mixed grass hay, and they had never fed alfalfa all year long. And they asked that I need to be worried about uh, milk fever. So can we kind of talk about milk fever a little bit? Catherine, do you want to go ahead? I, I mean, I can. I've never experienced milk fever in my own dose. Um, it's just kind of a balance between your calcium before they kid and after they kid. I wouldn't be too worried with a mixed mixed alfalfa kind of hay. If it was more straight alfalfa and it was a high a high calcium diet, I mean there is evidence to show that they don't learn to like the animals won't mobilize their own calcium stores. When they become when it, it like, like deplete as they start coming into lactation, it's kind of one that you just watch. I mean, you can look for the signs too. Like if they're down, if they're unable to get up, if their ears or legs are cold, those are typical signs we see with hypocalcemia. Um, goats aren't typically ones we'll see with hypocalcemia as much as cattle. So. But again, it is something that you probably don't want a, a maverick and treat, try to treat it all on your own. That's no. you know, definitely yeah. something that you want to pull your vet in because many times it does inv- involve, um, you know, a calcium IV or things like that, yeah. that most, most of us would not be comfortable with, nor should we be comfortable with doing at home, right? I mean, you can, if you're good at IVs and you feel comfortable and you know the signs and you're like, okay, I know this animal has hypocalcemia um i mean cattle people treat their own hypocalcemias all the time it's becoming one of the less frequent calls we get as i've heard from a lot of practitioners they're like it's not the numbers that we used to see anymore um everyone's pretty good about watching their diets making sure they're balanced and then if they do have a cow they kind of treat themselves Goats are a little more sensitive to IV calcium. So that's, I mean, that would be more one. I'd have a vet treat more than an on-farm treatment. There is oral, like probiotics with calcium that you can give post um, parturition that have had some success. I've never used them personally, so I don't know too much about it. I would say anybody 
can probably learn to IV. I've learned it's a good skill to know. I I still prefer to have a vet do it, but in the I have the stuff that if I need to get till morning till I can get a vet out there, I can do that. Um, one thing I don't – we kind of don't – when we put them on the stand after they've freshened, we don't take all the colostrum. We don't strip real um, down to nothing. We tend to leave a little bit in there. Um, kind of feel that that might – help keep some and, and not get them imbalanced as much. Um, and, and they'll get, they'll get milked out more as they're, they're usually not, you know, really filling fast at that point. So um, leaving them just, you know, not totally stripping them out we think is helpful. Yeah, I could, I could see that. So I have a question. Um, some of us have some geriatric does, you know, some of them that are jumping up there in ears, um, Catherine and, and Tim and Mary and Cameron, do you guys have any thoughts on anything extra you might do for those older, older girls that are still productive, but you, you know, that it's each year it gets just a little bit harder on them. Yeah. I, I think the first thing is you have to watch them closely, especially when it gets close to their due date there. Generally, they're going to need some help kidding. That's my first thing. So we always try to have someone there. Uh, last year, I felt like most of the time we had my grandfather there, which I love him to death, but he was not much help, but he did. The girls did manage to do it on their own, but we like to have someone there. That's the first thing when they kid. Secondly, kind of on the prenatal side, we like to up their grain as well there because they generally don't get around as well as, well as they once did. And it is required or a tremendous energy balance. We up the grain on them as well there. Um, and then we just try to keep them on a pretty even keel and playing field as well. Um, same kind of nutrition, hay-wise, that uh, our, our younger does get there. But I really think the grain, especially if they can't add weight as well as they once could, um, is, it's really important. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna agree everything with Cameron that, and just, uh, yeah, they need, they need extra time and care when you're, when you're dealing with them and, um, and, and, and spend it with them. And sometimes for us too, since we've, our stand, they have to jump up on a platform and then jump up on the stand. We, on the ones, the old ones towards the end of their pregnancies, we make sure they get just fed, you know, in the pen so they don't have to, <laughs> or, or at least we bring a, a pan and set it there. So they don't have to do the jumping and the things like that. That's just a little bit awkward and hard for them. Yeah. I think timing is just really important with them as well. Um, and I would always, I, you know, last year on this podcast, I think I said I was super anti inducing them there. I think if you can induce them, that's going to save you a lot of time and a lot of heartache as well. Something that I have noticed over the years and, and we've induced like last year, we induced a 12 year old. Um, sometimes the timing is a little bit different for inductions. Um, I know that with her, it took a little bit longer to kind of get things going. Um, I don't know if that's for everyone or maybe that was just, just an example with her, but um, you know, just as you said, it's so important to be there with them. I would totally agree with that. Uh, you, you don't want them to get into trouble. They just don't maybe have the same energy and the same reserves and, and maybe the same strength to, to fix a problem if they've got a bunch of kids that are all tangled up in there. So, Yeah. All right, Catherine, uh, Mary, Tim, Laura, any any other considerations on kind of our late pregnancy care before we move on to kidding? I was just kind of echoing what everyone said, but like the last couple of weeks, try not to do 
too much with them. Um, you don't want to stress the does out, especially if we come in. They aren't as easy to abort as if they were in that first month of pregnancy. But if you stress them out where they're always on the stand with you messing with their feet or they're like not getting enough energy, they will, I mean, there is that chance that they will abort their kids. So just keep an eye on what you're doing with them. Just kind of leave them alone. Let them maintain that homeostasis, as Cameron says. Yes. <laughs> Status quo is a good thing. Yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah. Moving, moving right along here to kidding now. Uh, one question we got, and a couple people chimed in on this, is what's in our kidding kits? Um, and I think, you know, we could go through this list here, but I think, let me ask this one here. Tim, Mary, what are your top three things in your kidding kit? Um, let's see. <laughs> Iodine, probably, so we can treat navels. I mean, most of ours is already out there in the barn. We have a nice heated office, so, um, and... Uh, lube in case lube. you have to go in and uh, help straighten out the kid and probably um, extra totes. We put ours in totes once they're born and then uh, we use a uh, bean stubble bedding. So we've got totes stacked with uh, all ready for that and towels. Um, we wipe them off and put them in the tote and bring them to the house. So those would be the top three things, I think. Tim, Mary, how many Oh, I was curious. How many towels do you go through in a kidding season? Oh, Mary washes quite a bit. I have uh, hog jeans all the time that need to be washed. So she just throws them in and, and actually we could prop probably get by. I mean, when you're doing, you know, like we are a couple a day, um, you know, she's going to be washing six or seven towels at a time, but um, yeah, we, we can get, I, we have plenty but I have not yet to go. Oh, I don't have any towels. We've we've always had towels. <laughs> Do you have a preference of lube? I like the um, the powder, the J lube. Um, that is my preference. Um, some of the other ones, I like to use different ones with the hogs. Um, I don't know. It's, um, I've used them all. I I just like the J lube. It seems to be. Um, if you're dealing, especially over a long period of time where you're trying to pull the kids, um, it stays lubricated a lot longer than the other ones where you need to keep reapplying. Okay. Good to know. Catherine, what about you? What are your, what are your top things in your kidding kit? Um, So kind of like Tim and Mary, we have um, kind of that basic, the towels, gloves, and iodine. That's what we bring down every time a doe is kidding. Um, and then kind of on reserve, um, I like to keep Lutalice in case we have a doe that's getting too far in her pregnancy or is starting to show signs of like if, if we're worried about pregnancy toxemia or anything where they just start getting off feed, we will induce with Lutalice and dexamethasone. Um, so I kind of have that on hand. We always have oxytocin in case we need it. I don't necessarily like using it just because uh, we don't, I, I just hear a lot of horror stories with it. So I, I'm not a big fan of it, Correct. but uh, we have it in case we need it. If we are having issues with contractions. Um, and then my biggest thing that we learned kind of the hard way um, a couple of years ago was make sure you have like a head snare or chains or something. Um, I was at school and my mom was by herself and she had a kid who just kept throwing its head back and she couldn't get them straightened out. And, 
um, it, we ended up losing the kid, but if you can have a head snare and know how to use it and keep everything positioned, especially if you're by yourself, um, it helps get the kids out a little easier without having to do a C-section. I would agree with that. My kid puller is my favorite new thing. I, it's, I had never had one before up until a couple of years ago. And, and I, it, I definitely feel like it saved some kids' lives. I, it was wonderful. Hey, Catherine. We do have a rule. Oh, go ahead. Oh. We have a rule at our farm, and anytime um, Tim's fabulous at getting kids out. In fact, I think we've only had maybe two C sections in 20 years. So, um, but anytime he goes in and assists with the birth, is that doe gets um, penicillin afterwards just to make sure anything yeah. didn't get introduced or just to help her out. So, that is a hard rule. At our farm, ours is uh, LA two hundred. If you're in there, yeah, for more than just right in the vaginal cavity where you're just pulling feet, if they get LA two hundred. Yeah, we do the same, and I and I also have banamine down there too because I, you know, I'm a softy. I don't like those moms to hurt, and I've especially with those older does. I'm almost always I'll give them some banamine after delivery just, just to kind of help them get up and moving around and feeling like that they want to eat and, and not focusing on how sore they are. So. Yeah. I, I agree with a lot of you on this, but Laura, did you hear the joke about oxytocin? No. What about it? It's a real letdown. <laughs> I'm going to use that at work. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's my good. Cause oxytocin is my, probably my top three choices here because I like it and I know what it does and I can, I can actually pronounce the word as well there. Um, but that's, that's probably my drug of choice if I were to ask um, here as well, because it generally works for me, but um, I agree a lot with, I, I'm with Catherine on that one. I stay way away from it. I've, I've got a bottle at the hog building. I don't even like to use it up there. I, the, the tests I've seen, they caution in the hog industry that overuse of that will um, affect your pregnancy rates and long-term stayability in the herd. I, I, I try to stay away from it as much as possible. And, and me, my biggest thing is you don't know, without you physically going in there and making sure that there's not a problem with that kid, you shouldn't be giving oxytocin. Like, it's just, it just causes more problems, especially if there is something stuck and you're causing her to have more contractions and clamping down. You increase your risk for uterine tears and everything, too. So it's just honestly the only reason I have it around is if we have a doe that won't shed, like won't release her placenta. And that's the only reason we'll ever use it or a doe that just didn't let any milk down. And she's got a lot of edema in her udder. We'll use it then. But very seldom do we use it. Yeah, I'm with you guys on oxytocin. I you know, it's obviously a drug I use at work all the time on the human side of things. And, you know, so I'm familiar with what it does. Um, I really would worry about a uterine rupture or overstimulation or the uterus. And um, what I usually hang on to it for is like what Catherine just said. If you have a doe that won't clean, that's not dropping her after birth, or if I have a doe that's bleeding a whole lot and I feel like, um, you know, maybe, maybe there's a problem with, the uterus just being, you know, really flaccid or whatever, I might give it postpartum, but I am totally sure that everything is out of that dough before I give it to her. So um, I just, 
I think it's one of those drugs that if you need it, it's very important to have it on hand, but you have to be really mindful that it is definitely a high risk drug. Yeah. Laura, what are we do have? Yeah, we do have livestock guard dogs in our barn. So it is sometimes a little tricky to know if they've cleaned because the dogs (laughs) take care of that problem very quickly. But you know, we've just learned to watch the does. Boy, if they just seem a little bit dopey or a little bit off, that's that's when we get our vet out here right away and just say, I, you know, and we have him go in and, and check and oh and we do do some pen g you know on that too right away but yeah that's like i said with livestock guard dogs it's sometimes a little bit of a challenge <laughs> because that's their dessert of choice right yes they yeah. they are cleaning that all up before the predators show up so they just they're on it <laughs> that's so cute um, i also like to have molasses and a water heater out there i don't have electricity or i don't have a water heater in my barn so i brought one bring one of those drop-in buckets and and i know that um if i need to go in to to pull a kid i like having warm water out there for that if i've been out there for a long time any warm water i bring out with me sometimes is frozen so it's nice to to have a way to heat water up out there and uh, give them their dessert after they deliver of molasses water to kind of get their get them boosted back up again. So that's something else that I always make sure that I have down there with me as well. One thing I like, especially if I am getting out togs or you know they all they all look the same or sodens there some ID bands. Um, especially if I have more than one kidding there and maybe they have quads or something and I have to put them in two different tubs there. That's that's important for. Um, just a whole bunch of uh, just for identification. I've heard uh, horror stories before where uh, this is a real life example for people where they have the ID bands on the goats and none of them are tattooed. And then um, some kids went into the pen and pulled off all the ID ba- bands and oh. they because I had them all color coded there and put them on different goats. So <gasps> yeah, the yes, that the person had to go man. and yes, the person had to go and DNA her entire kid crop. Yeah. That would be a nightmare because we use the, we don't get them on right away because, you know, we're not freshening usually that many at one time. But we have had two does that had them in a pile and we had to do some DNA testing a long time ago. But, um, yeah, we use the the leg bands and I cut them in half and I write on them with Sharpie. And, and I've gotten so many colors that each doe gets usually you know, I have to reuse some colors, but we often refer to them as, you know, the pink kids, the purple kids, the green kids, the yellow kids, the the light green kids, kids the light yeah. blue kids. Yeah. So, oh, I love it. I think that's yeah. a cool idea. Yeah. It helps. It's the best. It helps I mean, we have that too. Yeah. With, with togs, you have to learn to, there's no writing down colors or anything because all you can maybe write down is some sort of waddle or... <laughs> Otherwise, it's just, it's brown. Well, sometimes I feel that way about my herd of alpines. Oh, it's another brown one. Oh, it's another brown one. But anyway, that that's a whole other wind brown. It's that maple, maple wind brown. Maple wind brown. Find it at Lowe's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Is there anything else that you all have in your kidding kit you think we need to talk about? Um, one thing that Catherine, Catherine and I have talked about here is I, our cord clamps. So some people like to actually clamp the cords uh, of the umbilical cords and then dip the navel there. Um, I don't think it's a bad idea, and I, I like I like it. We don't do it on our herd, but 
I really like that there. Um, and the one, and I don't know if Laura, you put this on here, somebody else did, but the extra phone battery or cord, that's a lifesaver in the barn, especially if it's late at night and you're just sitting there scrolling Facebook, waiting for a goat to kid. I put that on there because not only have I needed it for that reason, but there is nothing worse than being in the middle of an emergency and realizing it's cold in the barn and your phone, your phone's dead and you can't get hold of anybody. So I just, I just feel like, you know, if, if you need to phone a friend, you got to have that extra phone battery out there to be able to make that work. So, and again, um, it goes back to creating that relationship with your vet. So they know if it's a problem, it's probably a problem. I would say goat farmers for the most part can generally solve 90 ish percent of their problems on their own or figure it out. But those 10% that you don't know how to figure out, that's when it becomes serious. Can we jump into kidding? Yeah. Sure. Okay. So one of, one of the things that I noticed that we've had some questions on, on our Facebook page, um, there's all kinds of different ways to do kidding. And so, um, and I think we could have a whole episode about that. We're going to run long and we knew that going into this today. I don't think we have enough time to go really deeply into things, but I also think that it's good to think outside the box. So let's start out by talking a little bit about how each of us manage kidding on our farm and uh, what kidding looks like, like um, how you, do you separate your does off from the herd? Uh, Do you leave your does with the kids and so forth? So Catherine, do you want to start first? Sure. I could start first. Um, So for ours, uh, we pull in because we will utilize everyone. So we in the fall to know our breeding dates. So um, we pull in the group of does that's due that week. Um, and they kind of sit in a commingled pen and then, um, as they get closer or look like they're going to kid, they get pulled into individual kidding pens. We've got, um, two kidding pens. They're like five by eight pens. So, I mean, if the does have to sit there for a day or two, they're pretty comfortable. Um, and then that's where our cameras are focusing on are those two kidding pens. And then the group pen behind them is just kind of in the background so we can keep an eye on them. And then once they kid, we pull kids right away. Um, our kids are then uh, put in tubs and they get a little vacation to our uh, to the kitchen in our house that's where we have the most room for everyone and then um, unlike everyone else we don't really bottle feed we just find it easier to pan feed so we give the kids about an hour or two to kind of get their wits about them and then we pan feed them colostrum Um, most of the time we haven't had any issues with them not wanting to drink and Sometimes we can even get them to drink even earlier just because they're so driven to eat at that point in time. But that's kind of how we get our kids started. Okay, Tim and Mary, what do you guys use? Um, well, we the way our new barn is set up, our does just kid all together in the pen. And what we do, we don't pull all the kids anymore. We just pull our keeper does and if we have a reservation on a buck and then we actually have um, some buyers we found that again to cut back on some of our labor we have um, some people that don't live very far from us that buy all of our unwanted buck kits and so honestly we have left the last couple years we've left the buck kids on them for sometimes a day or two and then they get the colostrum and we don't have to worry about those guys and if we have a doe that's down in the dumps, um, it, it has really helped her 
perk herself out. And we're always thankful when she has just a, a buck kid that we don't care if he nurses or not. But then we bring them in, in our little tubs and bring them in our entryway in our house. And we also do pan feeding. We found that that just works the easiest for us. And we use the Colostrix CR um, replacer. Yeah, replacer. And and then we go and we'll switch to pasteurized um, milk that we do in our instant pot. But um, we found that, again, like Catherine says, you just wait a little bit of time, maybe hour, two hours. But our big secret is, yeah, you've got to get that that pretty warm. We found out that some of them are very temperature sensitive. Yeah. And it does birth. it doesn't matter the fact that it's uh, powdered colostrum or mm-hmm. uh, heat treated colostrum. Um, we've just found that when pan feeding, that having it at a at a warm temperature that's very close to or above the doe's body temperature helps increase the intake time and and make the kids eat faster um, and more w- by having it warm, really warm. We'll notice, like even some of our kids are the fussiest of things. Like they want it like that one twenty to one thirty, where it's like almost too hot to. Right. Versus like down by a hundred degrees where they're like, Oh, I'm not going to drink this. This is too cold. Yes. And that only is for the first, you know, couple days or mm-hmm. not even that sometimes it's, it's very, you know, once they figure out, Oh, I do like this, then they <laughs> seem to get a little more tolerant of the, of the temperature, but our stay in our entryway for a day or sometimes even less if they jump out of the totes and they're naughty and then we actually put them in um, oh, IBC oh. totes in the garage. Yeah. We've we've yeah. since the girls uh, are are not our labor supply anymore. We do actually have garage goats, and uh, we put the IBC totes with a a corner cut off of it and a heat lamp, and um, we can put about four to five in one of those, and so they'll spend about a week um, in our garage. Or when we have a good-sized group that goes down to our kid barn. Um, and depending on the weather and, and other issues. But just try to stay flexible enough and, and it keeps them closer to us so that our time and labor um, can be spent milking and with the does too. So, Very cool. Cameron, tell us about yours. Before I start, I want to say, Tim, you brought up a really excellent point there. Is you have to be flexible because no kid is the same. Some kids might require a week inside. Some of them might require six hours inside, depending on how naughty they are. So excellent point. You brought that up (laughs) there. Um, But as for our farm here, uh, they get taken away from the herd there. We have our own little kidding pens uh, with our barn cameras set up on them so we can watch them as well there. They kid in the pen there, and generally after that, they expel the placenta, um, and they – go and they eat that choose to eat that or not there uh we will strip them out take them right back to their pen their kids are immediately pulled whether it's buck doe something in between there and put inside we remove them from there uh maybe about an hour ish two ish hours later there we'll feed the first colostrum again we use a, a powdered uh, colostrum replacer not a supplement a replacer there i learned that the hard way last year um, so if you see me in a tractor supply with a armful of lamb and kid colostrum replacer, um, th- please, please do not bother me because I'm about to shell out a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so uh, that's kind of our protocol for that. Generally about 
two-ish days inside. Again, that's flexible based on the kid there. They'll go outside. We've had this nice, warm, really freaking heavy box ever since probably we moved into this property and my grandfather built it. And he um, he basically made really thick walls there and the kids will start out in that box, straw and shavings down there, and they'll live in there. And from there, they'll get transitioned to um, uh, the regular milk there on a pan. We start out bottle feeding colostrum because it's a lot easier downstairs and it's less of a mess. And then upstairs, we, or excuse me, as they go outside, they'll get put on a pan there. Generally, they learn really, really fast. Um, and so that's kind of our plan there. Very cool. Well, so I do a few things from all of you and some things very different. Um, like Tim and Mary, our does kit out in the herd. I don't have kidding pins. We've had kidding pins in the past. Um, but one of the things that I learned uh, when I worked at um, Patty Dean's, and I don't know if she continued this on later, but um, we kind of found that, especially for those yearlings, when they kitted, kidding out in the, in the, pen in general with other does they seem to be a little calmer uh, labor seemed to go easier and then you always had those midwife goats that would come along and help clean off kids and um it really just seemed to work really well so that's the way that we do it here we do our very darndest to attend every kidding um if possible so uh you know, we use barn cameras. Um, a lot of times I will induce the does so that they can kid on weekends when I'm home. Um, sometimes, sometimes not always, you know, Caroline's usually around. So we, we work it out that somebody's around with them. After the babies are born, we do take them away from their moms. And uh, last year we moved them into a pen in our garage. And so we had garage goats also, and that seemed to work out really well. Um, they stayed in there. Oh, we kept him in the garage for about a month because we had some mud and rain problems last year. Um, but uh, we transitioned them to different pins and we use lamb bars to feed our kids or as we affectionately call them at our house, the suck bucket. But uh, we use a kid feeder for ours and we start them out on the lamb bar nipples from the get go. We don't use little Pritchard teats or anything like that. We start them on the same nipple that they go on. And usually they're drinking off that lamb bar within a day or two. So we don't have any problems with that. So um, that that's how we do it around here. But I'm, I haven't ruled out the idea of pan feeding that really appeals to me on a lot of levels. So maybe when it's me doing it all by myself, that may be something I transition to. I will well, say the, the reason- one thing. Up- oh, go ahead, Mary. Well, the reason we did it was, yeah, where we had the kids is ways away and we didn't have any warm water down there. So what we would do is put our, well, we went to a Minnesota dairy goat conference and I learned of it, but yeah, we carry our milk down in like the Rubbermaid containers and put it in warm water. So then that's all we're basically using to rinse out our, um, the, the, Pans, the, pans, the, pans the feed with. pans that we so feed our them. cleanup is that's the thing we like about it um we we feed ours in individual stalls because we like to know uh, we don't feed them in a in a communal trough um so we do measure out each one's milk so we do know exactly when one is not eating as much um but so it it, it the the pan if you can work it with uh like a communal pan um it can be faster. Um, it for ours, it does work better with two people. 
Um, so not really a, really a labor saving reason for it. I do want to add um, you, some, some do induce. We don't generally induce unless there's going to be like a pregnancy problem. But uh, I do um, use lights. I'll leave my lights on in my barn until about 1030 and we do a check or kid feeding then. And it tends to um, make the does kid. I A lot of ours are going to kid in the afternoon between 2 and 3 um, or 2 and 4. I just It seems to um, create, use light and, and feeding times to um, set them so that they're there when we're around or they're kidding when we're around. And um, that that makes it easier for us. So I have a question about that because I've heard, I've heard this before that people will talk about the time of day that you feed your goats really affects whether or not they're going to kid during the nighttime hours. Um, what are your thoughts on that? It sounds like that you believe that that's really true. I, I do believe that's true. Cause um, I, when we, when I grew up, we had sheep and we, we did it with our sheep um, and I've done it now um, with the goats and, and really, um, I think it's a little easier with goats because they do uh, pay attention and they want to, they, you know, I think for their own sense of uh, calmness, they, they go, okay, they're always here at this time. Um, and having a consistency is one thing that helps set that too. But um, feeding consistency and, and light timing consistency, and then when you're there, consistency as much as you can. I, I you realize that. Not all people can do that, but if you can, it, it is helpful. Very cool. Yeah, I we don't induce a lot. I think we're going to do a little bit more inducing this year because we have a little bit busier schedules. And I know one of the questions we got is, how do you have a goat life balance? And then there's a, there's a third thing here, which is life outside of goats, which I know for some of us probably doesn't happen, um, my, myself included there. So... I think inducing is a great tool to have, um, especially if you time it out there. And I know Catherine and I kind of talked about something here earlier today where if you were to time everything out, you could get every one of your goats to kid in the exact same window and you can induce them all and just have one giant kidding party. As I know, uh, a sable breeder in Indiana does that here and they have, I think it's like February 28th, the last day of February, and they induce like 30, 40 goats to kid. I don't know. That sounds like insanity to me, unless you have lots and lots of help. <laughs> I, I agree on that one there. Uh, yeah, um, I agree on that one there. So let's see where we're going to go with this next. Because again, we're kind of running long and I really feel like we could have a part two of this very easily. Um, I think maybe a good way to, to end this first part is kind of talking about when does have trouble. How do you know? I think we're all sitting on pins and needles when we're watching a doe kidding. How do you know when it's time to go in and uh, at least feel and see what's going around, going on? And then how do you know when it's outside of what you need to handle and need to get somebody else in there? Yeah, it's different for every situation. Um, and I, you know, made mistakes both ways. Um, you know, leaving some going, oh, well, she's not, she's not, not in labor yet and i i guess it it is an experiencing but also um you know i will i will kind of check you know once once i'm sure they're in active labor 
um, basically um, within an hour if they're not um, have kids out or, or um, even further than that, I'm going to make sure that I've been in there and checked, make sure that positioning is good and uh, probably helpful. Um, and once, if I've, if I've had to help um, one have um, kids or one, one, the first one out, I will just go ahead and pull the next two, one or two out of there and make sure that it just moves along quick after that. Cause um, it's, it's, you know, you don't want to have one that, you know, if, she, if she's spending a lot of time cleaning the one off, then, then not have one and then extend her whole time that she's in labor too long. Um, it just shortens that up. Right. Those does that get so fixated on that first one that you've got there, you're like, come on, I know there's another one there. You need to get down to trouble. We've just taken the goats, taken the kids totally away before. It's like, nope, it's gone. You need to have another one. You're done here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do too. And I feel like one might take a, you know, you might be monkeying with it for five, 10 minutes or something like that, but two or three and maybe even four generally comes a lot quicker. Than yeah. See, I've done it where I just leave them in, like if they get fixated on the kid, um, I usually put a glove on and then I'll like use my finger and kind of swirl around in their vagina just to kind of give them the feel like they have a contraction and something there. And then they're like, Oh, I need to get back to business. Hold on. <laughs> Yeah, that, I can see that working very well for that. At what point do you kind of throw the towel in and say, okay, I need to get a vet here? I honestly would recommend if you're not making much progress after 15, 20 minutes, call your vet just because you know they're going to be another half hour, if not longer. So then that's already pushing you to your 40 minutes to an hour after having something stuck. So that that'd be my advice. I'm really stubborn, I will say, and I I probably, I will work and work and work, and then my dad will work, and then I will work at it. And we can generally do 95 to 90, probably 97% of all trouble ones if we just work at it there. Would I say that's the best protocol? Absolutely not. Um, if, as a, again, an example of do as I say, not as I do, I would agree with Catherine on that. It, it all depends on what your goals are, honestly. If you can picture what's going on and just know you need a little more time with yourself and you can ultimately get it out, that's fine. But if you have a kid that's in complete breach and you can't get them turned around and there's another one that's coming right there or you have two legs coming from different kids all at the same time and can't get anything moved around, um, that's usually when I have that like 15, 20-minute rule for people. Yeah, I think that's a good rule, good rule of thumb. Because, um, you know, you're only going to, if 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 it gets later than that, you're only making more trouble and making it a longer time. I think you also have to know what your vet, you know, know your vet too. There are some vets who you can call and say, yep, I've got a problem here. And they're like, okay, I'm on my way. There are other vets that I've worked with that, that, just frankly kind of give you a hard time about coming out. And I totally understand it. I mean, everybody is, is pushed to the, to the edge and you know, it's, it's a difficult time, but you kind of have to know what your vet's going to do too. Uh, there are yeah. some vets who will ask you to haul an animal in that's in labor uh, versus coming out. And, and if it's two o'clock in the morning and the roads are icy, uh, 
yeah, you, you might be calling a vet earlier rather than later. No, know, again, knowing that it's going to take them longer to get there than you trying to take an animal that's in labor over bad roads, you know, in, into the vet too. So this, yeah. And I'm, this, go ahead. Go ahead, Cameron. No, I was going to say, I would always encourage you to say, Hey, I, I really can't get this. An-. Cause again, that animal's already somewhat comfortable, well, not comfortable, but somewhat in a position in order to do their stuff. I would hate to move that animal and put them in a situation with a haul in situation there. I understand that there's probably more tools there at a clinic to help get an animal out rather than in a vet box. However, I would always encourage them to come to the farm there. And I think Catherine kind of said it best there. Know what your goals are as well. And if it's, you know, you're, you know, there are some goats I would spend a lot of money on kidding. There are other goats I might not spend as much. So really kind of keep that in mind too. What's your economic threshold? I know in goats, generally goat money is different than regular money, but um, what is your economic <laughs> threshold of that animal? It's something to consider as well. Yeah. I, w- I was just going to add that um, this is one, in- but this, I you know, I've been, I've been delivering baby pigs and goats and sheep since I was probably 10 years old or less. And so this is one thing where as a like a midwife type where if you have someone that's an experienced and it may not even be um, somebody with goats but is experienced in that may work out um, just as easy as a vet Um, there's you know there's a couple of herds that are close here and one I just tell them I says you know just if if it isn't going right give me a call quicker than than you you know and and I'll and I'll come help and and a lot of times um, it's just a matter of seconds and I can get that out. But, uh, and, and it, you know, it is a lot less expensive than a vet. They are kind of nice that if it is three in the morning, they don't tend to call me and they will call a vet and make him drive out. So I guess they're useful in that, that instance. And I'm not as good because Tim has, but is very skilled at getting them out. And so I will try and I'll be kind of upset. And then he'll just walk in. And like he said, it takes him all of 30 seconds and he's got him out. And then I get a little frustrated. I'm like, well, can't you at least make it look like it was a challenge? <laughs> I, I I think, I think a, sometimes a fresh, a fresh set of eyes or a fresh set of hands is better than anything else there. Because when you do get kind of gunked into things for lack of better terms, and you're feeling around there looking for a leg, a head, something like that. Well, hopefully a leg, not a head there. Um, but you do kind of get trapped in the situation. You get so fixated on something. So a fresh a fresh feeler can always be a little bit more beneficial to have that there. I always recommend finding like a small child with hands as well. Small hands um, are very convenient compared to, you know, my, my giant paws. And not a squeamish child. But also, <laughs> you know, know your doe. If you've got one that you're just, she's up and down and up and down and up and down and just trust your instinct to say this isn't right and because a lot of times yes the two of us kind of work together but he'll often ask me what do you think and I'll just I'll say I don't think it's right you better go check you know so trust your instinct yeah and and take care of it before it becomes a real major problem before you've got two kids trying to come through all at the same time that's what what we're trying to say and also oh go ahead Catherine sorry when you have no, you're fine. When you have two kids coming at the same time, kind of think in your head: is it a front leg or is it a back leg? Kind of use your hand to guide up the leg further. Is it a hock? Is it a knee? 
Because if it's two different legs, then you know it's two different kids. So don't spend all your time pulling both legs and making no progress. Well, and and that fits well into what I was going to say. Um, I don't care how long you've had goats and how many times you've had your hands in there trying to figure it out. At least for me, there's always a little moment when I think, oh my gosh, this is a monster. It's got two heads and six legs. And, and I'm sure it's a deformed goat because I can't feel anything right. You know, there's, I think there's that panic time. And then you have to take that deep breath and say, okay, this should be attached to a shoulder. So I'm going to follow this leg all the way up and, oh, oops, that's not a shoulder. That's a tail. So now I've got a hind, you know, you, you have to logically kind of puzzle it out in your head because when you first put your hand in there, it feels crazy. If it's a monster, right. that's why they call it inbreeding. But if it's a good goat, they call it line breeding. <laughs> yeah. But on, on some of these ones too, after if they've had a difficult um, birth, you know, there, there's where you want your towel as soon as you can get that kid out. And if it doesn't look like it's doing much or kind of slow, I mean, you rub it, you thump it, you grab by the legs and swing, you do anything to kind of aggressively get that kid going. And because um, we've had to do that several times too. And it's amazing how you can get them going, you know, just by being, you know, just rubbing and rubbing and rubbing them. What about if you have a goat after kidding there, just had a, let's just say had a rough kidding. You had to do some pulling there. What do you like to do kind of post there in order to let them bounce back a little? Well, that's where I said we did have some luck last year. If they'd have a buck kid, we've left the kid on if you're able to, because that does seem that gives that doe uh, a sense of purpose. And we only did it, you know, for a couple of days, but it just gave her that sense of purpose of, I need to get up. I need to feed this thing. I need to, you know, take care of it. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, we'll do the, the banamine and the, and the, pe- you know, penicillin Energy. and, and lots of um, blue light water, or warm water. And we just try to get her to drink as much as we can. Catherine, what about you? Cause I know we had talked about this earlier today. Um, I mean, the banamine is really kind of my mainstay. I like if we have something that's pretty rough or I'll bring them out hot water with, um, either YMCP or, um, flu light, just depending on what I have in the house and what kind of the dough needs, if she needs extra electrolytes or if she needs kind of just an all around boost in feeling better, um, most of the time we just let them be we try to keep them warm uh put a heat lamp on them if it's kind of chilly in the barn and just keep them comfortable as much as possible do you reintroduce them to the herd Catherine? uh no our does so like i said we kind of have the group pen is right next to the individual kidding pen so they always have a buddy in there with them in the barn and then they stay in their group for about one to two days after the whole group is done kidding and then they go back out in with everyone else. And then at that point in time, another, we clean up pens and then bring in the next group. Gotcha. We like propylene glycol here. Um, again, just a little bit more energy there. Uh, mix it with hot water. Our goats are trained to like hot water or hot thing, hot milk. So, um, they seem to like it and it's a great, it's a great reward, I guess, for them after they did a good job. Hopefully we do the same thing. They always get their warm molasses water 
And most of the time they'll down a whole milk bucket full. I mean, they just, that they really seem to appreciate that afterwards. So, and as I said before, if it's been a hard kidding and we think that, you know, she might be kind of sore and sometimes you can see those, I think about those little yearling first fresheners, their little whole bottom is just all swollen up. Um, We'll use some banamine to kind of help them get a little more comfortable. Maybe we've actually used preparation H the kind around <laughs> when it's also swollen and puffy and looks painful. Well, what that's a good idea. We use that we use that for human mamas afterwards or um yeah. like lidocaine spray or things like that. Why wouldn't that work well for our goat moms? Sure. Yeah. They they it seems if nothing else it makes me as a woman feel a little like better like I'm doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah, for sure. What else do we want to discuss on here? Yeah, I was just trying to think here. Yeah, I think we've hit, I think we've kind of hit our list. The last one is that whole work life balance. And, you know, I, I recognize that all of us that are on here, we're not, we, we don't damn raise. And, and I know a lot of our listeners probably do damn raise and especially certain breeds tend to do it a little more frequently than other breeds do. Um, and there's lots of reasons to damn raisin. There's lots of reasons not to. I I will share that in the past I have kind of done a combination thing. Um, I you know when I came out of dairy goats as a young adult after having goats the first time, I was pretty um, clear on it has to be done this way. You have to milk every twelve hours. You have to pull your kids off the dams. You can't dam raise anything. And and what I learned is that there really aren't any hard and fast rules with dairy goats. And sometimes you have to let things slide a little bit so that you can um, find that work life balance. And and I know that as a single mom with young kids who really weren't that capable of or weren't ready to take on the majority of the herd. Um, work themselves. And I was working full-time nights at the time. Um, we would leave the kids on their moms all night long. And then when I got home from work at eight o'clock in the morning, I'd go out and separate the dams from the, the kids. I'd strip the dams out before I, before I do that. And then, um, I'd go to sleep. And then at night before I'd go to work then for the next shift, um, I'd milk the moms, I'd feed the kids, um, their bottles because I wanted the kids to be comfortable with being bottle fed and everything. And then I'd turn the kids in with the moms overnight again. So I, I I just share that because I feel like it's important that you know that you can come up with all kinds of different ways to make things work for your family. The way that somebody else tells you to do it doesn't have to be the only way to do it. The important thing is to remember that lactation is based on supply and demand. So, um, milking your goats on a regular basis is really important for their utter health and, and to keep them balanced and, and to really let you have a good opportunity to see how your does are doing lactation wise. So do you guys have anything that you'd like to add to that? I think one thing to consider is again, remember what your goals are in life as well. There is is your, if your goal is to have national show class winners, or if your goal goal is to, um, I want my kid to succeed at the county fair, but I also want to be at their their softball games in the win at the summer or their basketball games in the winter. There, I know the Schmitz. You guys uh, have had basketball games there uh, with your girls there. So, really remember what your goals are with your herd there, 
And that's going to help you make the decisions that you need to, whether it's dam raise, whether it's pasteurize the milk, feed them heat, treat and colostrum, mix it up there yourselves. Remember, everything goes back to what your goals are. And again, Laura said it best. There's no right or wrong. Well, there is a wrong way to do it, but there's, again, there's no like absolutely ironclad rules. These are your goats. And I am never going to look at someone and say, oh, this goats, this, this person damn raises their goats. Oh no. How dare they? Because that's their lifestyle and that's what they choose to do. Again, they're still raising the goats there. So I think it's whatever's easiest for the producer, for the person there. Right. And that's why we started freshening um, in March because while Tim's usually, we have pork forum that we're gone for. And so we knew that date. And then the girls were active in basketball and going to state basketball and you didn't want to deal with goats. And then we just decided, you know, we kind of like this March, April. And yes, does it only limit us to very few kid classes? Absolutely. Are we okay with that? Absolutely. We don't like showing kids that much anyway. (laughs) Um, We've gone through the years too. We used to feed four, sometimes, you know, five times a day we'd feed the kids. Well, yeah, I guess Cameron, you know, Callie, she's taught us a lot of things. You can get a little bit, uh, condense her down and, and, and get them started a little faster on that individual pan feeding and they can handle it. Yep. And now we only feed uh, three, three times. times a day. So it's, we've, we don't get in a hard set rule. Maybe it helps every year. We kind of forget sometimes what we do, but I, you know, we've, we've changed all the time. Yeah. It seems like every year we do something a little different and try something new and, and, yeah, and some of that is because we forgot how to do it. <laughs> but uh, we go, we go with it, and and we find out that it it makes it a little easier. So, and it it goes back to that flexibility and not being not being stuck on hard and fast rules because there are there are really very few of those. So, yep, just be flexible and have Catherine. fun. I mean, that's that's oh, yeah. what they're for, right? Right. Catherine, do you have any life-changing saving tips there for saving time or being an adult or, you know, maybe managing a herd with from, you know, 5,000 miles away as you are sometimes? It's not 5,000 miles away. It's not that bad. Um, but it's just more or less trusting people you have back home to kind of do it the best they can. It, it, it's a little hard. It's not the way you necessarily want it done all the time, but um, you kind of set your herd up for like the best success, like ours. Um, we transitioned everyone from being fed every time they came into the barn or to being fed on like free choice feeders, just because it saved time for everyone. Just throw out a bag of grain in the hog feeder every couple days, and the girls manage themselves type thing. So, I mean. It's you kind of do the best you can with your resources, and no one judges you based on that. I mean, everyone's got their own life choices and how they want to go about life. And I mean, just to have goats in your life is kind of a it's a blessing in of itself. So just take it as as best you can, and no one no one's going to tell you you're doing it right or wrong. Well, we think well, Catherine, you should just you know marry Cameron and then make him your just live in the barn and be your barn husband out there and he can take care of everything. I mean, he spends that much time out there anyways at Ed's house. I mean, <laughs> I, I expected that much. There you go. 
Well, I am fortunate that I am able to stay home and be here. But yes, I I do have a life too and other things and commitments. But it is nice that I'm able to kind of go out and look at things close and personal during during kidding season. The cameras help a lot. Yeah, the cameras help a lot. But I think that's important too is that, you know, remember that even though you do have to, even though that you can have some flexibility, it's really important to be attentive. And as my dad would say, pay attention to the details of things because Cameron's not very good at that apparently. But paying attention to those details during the during the kid growing season because you never really know. And I think we might do a separate episode kind of on kid raising and talk about some of the problems there because uh, I know this one is kind of going long. Well, that's where we found that, like the instant pot for us was a huge time saver to pasteurize our milk and yeah, timing timing our milk or feeding schedules with our pasteurizing schedules so that you know the it's yeah we're pasteurizing up to um, this temperature, but then when is it going to be cooled down? And then so make sure that you know we're not having to reheat it. We just take it from the um, warm and take it right down and feed it. Okay, so as a huge Instant Pot fan, I'm just going to ask you, can you share how you do it with your Instant Pot so our listeners who have those wonderful pieces of equipment can figure well, it out? Have more than one. Have more. Yeah, I have a, have a couple Instant Pots and then have extra liners. And uh, so you can do multiple batches. And then, um, yeah, it, it's pretty simple. You just put it in, push the yogurt button. And let it go until it gets it, it beeps yogurt at you. Um, there are some different models that do it slightly different, um, but um, the one the one that has the yogurt button will generally always give you that reading. And then, like but I double said, check with a thermometer. Yeah, we we double check every year just to be sure that we're at least getting um, one sixty five or or greater. Yeah, and then we like I said sometimes we've done it, it when it's late at night and we do a batch, we let it go and it stays in the instant pot until morning. That milk's, it's not going to spoil. And then we feed it to them, the kids the next morning. Yeah. We, we have to warm it up a little bit at that point, but yeah. So, and then we halt, we just use the great outdoor temp, you know, um, fridge to cool things down when we pull the pots out. Instant pots, you do have to be a little bit more careful with like Tim wears a pair of thin gloves to lift it in and out. He's got a little more sensitive hands, but um, for us, it is just, yeah, it's been very, very slick. Um, We like it that we don't have to monitor it so much and we don't have, I can put it in there and I can hit the button and we can leave. We know it's going to get to that temperature. We don't have to stay and monitor it like we used to when we did it on the stove. Yeah. And so we may take off and go out for eat with friends or go to a basketball game. When we come home, it's, it's ready to go. We cool it down or feed it depending on what temperature it is. Very Catherine, good. Catherine, do you want to talk about the sous vide method that you use not only for your heat treated colostrum, but you've done some milk stuff with it too, right? Um, so we use the Innova sous vide uh, for colostrum. And then when we have small batches of milk, so we'll put them in like a, a mason jar and then we usually will do the classroom to 137 and then the milk to 165. Um, I like the, it takes about, it takes about an hour and a half for colostrum because it's about half hour to heat everything up and then an hour to sit at that 137. But um, it's really nice too, because it, 
I have the one that's like Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, and so I can monitor it from anywhere type thing. Um, that's what we use for that, for Claustrum. And it keeps it right at temp and does a really good job because once it beeps, we can even temp the milk that's in the jars and it's right at that correct temperature. And then when we get to like larger batches and we start having three or four gallons per run, then we go up to our WEC canner. And then the WEC canner, we have, we've done enough now that we time it out. We know as long as it's heated up to like 165, 170, the water, we can put the five gallon pot in there and it takes about 45 minutes. Very cool. And and you can make a great steak with that too, right? I have no clue because it's, its sole purpose was for milk. So I, uh, Dr. Plummer had done a presentation when I was an undergrad and was talking about how you can get the best results like with thorough heat treating with like circulating the milk or water around it. So I found that at the time and I was like, oh, I could probably use this and that would probably work. And it's worked great. Very cool. All right. Well, we ran a little bit over today, but I knew we would because I was just so excited to have such an amazing panel of guests. So uh, Tim and Mary and Catherine, thank you guys so much for being on Goat Gab with us this week. Um, it was, it truly was a breath of spring to get to actually talk goats with some friends that I don't get to see very often. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun to talk to everybody too. But we still need to get together at a show. <laughs> we will. I promise. Okay. We'll head okay. up your way next year. I promise. Okay. I'll I'll come on over at some point. As long yeah, as Catherine yeah, lets me. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, if nothing else, we'll see everybody at, at Catherine and Cameron's wedding, right? Right. Yeah. But that's yeah. a long way off. He, he did do it the same time as Travis Bolt, so we're torn here. With... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Travis. They'll all be getting great presents. Yeah. Oh, that'll be great. That'll I want to go. I need to put. We need to use those barn cameras so I can be at both of my uh, special boys' weddings at the same time. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, as always, um, we appreciate your feedback. And if you have any questions about anything you heard today, or if you have suggestions for future future podcasts, we would love to hear it. And please give us some love on Facebook or. Um, on Apple podcasts or Google or Spotify or wherever you listen to us, give us feedback, let us know what you like. And thank you for being part of us this week. Yeah. Um, Tim, Mary, real quick, where can we find information about your herd of Toggenbergs? Oh yeah. We are, we are Eagle Creek farm on Facebook. Um, you can just search there or you can Google us. We do have a um, farm uh, webpage, but basically it's a link to our, our Facebook page. So uh, most of any current information, it's always behind, but um, you'll find it on our Facebook or send us a personal message. And Catherine, you as well there? Uh, yeah, so you can find our farm page on Facebook with Taylor Ridge Farms, or um, our website is Taylor Ridge Dairy Goats. Uh, I think it's .wix.com. Cameron, yep. you would know better than me. You manage that. Yes. Yes, I yes I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you both, as always. Or thank you all three of you. Excuse me there. Uh, listeners, have a great week. We'll catch you on next week. <laughs>